Well, welcome this morning. It's so great to have you with us worshiping at New Life Fellowship Church. Uh, my name's Corey. I'm the associate pastor here. If you have not met me or seen me here before, or you're like, who's that guy's, what's that guy's name? That's me. So uh, the title of today's message is God's Not Finished With You Yet. I normally don't title messages, but I thought this was kind of an obvious one, so I just figured I'd put it up there. I found a cool font, and there we go. So that's the title. God's not finished with you yet. Um, I'm really excited about today's message because it's based on this idea that as we follow God, even when we don't know where he's leading us, that it's, it's an exciting journey filled with a lot of potential for maybe having to step out and, and trust more than we ever have. I think it's something we can all take encouragement from. As a church, we've been going through this two-year Bible reading um, plan called Mission 119, and there's some information about that in your bulletin if you'd like to jump in and read along with us. Um, to go along with that, uh, that reading, um, each week we uh, choose the message for the sermon text based on uh, that week's reading. And last week we read through ja- uh, John chapters uh, 1 through 9, and um, it was really hard kind of allowing God to highlight the passage that um, he wanted me to share with you today. Uh, because if you haven't read John before, it's pretty much a sermon that you just don't need to preach. Just read it. Everything is there. And there's so much uh, truth and, and, and power to who Jesus Christ was. I really felt the Holy Spirit highlight a couple of stories from chapters 5 and 6. And I hope what I share today will be uh, a challenge to you and also an encouragement. And I'll read those in a second. I recently finished a really cool biography on Walt Disney by Neil Gabler. It was a really cool book. I was, as I was reading, I couldn't help but think it's easy to be inspired uh, and motivated to succeed when you look at someone like Walt Disney. But we often forget that people like this pioneers and innovators, people who did um, big things with their life and ultimately changed the world. We forget that they didn't know how things were going to necessarily turn out. And when looking at their success or the glory at the end of the race, uh, we fail to see how the closed doors and the rejection and failures along the way, that that is actually the place where the story really is. It changes from focusing on what they achieved to how they got there. And as Christians, these places, the low moments, the hopeless moments, even the crossroad moments where we don't know which way to go, these are the places, these are the places where God comes into the picture and says, don't worry, it's all going to turn out. Just pick yourself up and trust me and follow me. As I was thinking and praying about the message today, there, is, uh, there are some things about Walt Disney that uh, his life really struck me when you think about this idea of following God, even when things don't make sense. In case you don't know, Walt Disney actually was a person. I don't think there's any kids in here who might not know that, but <laughs> I think we all do. But he was perhaps the most creative and influential person to, even, to ever work in the entertainment industry. He was a master storyteller who did more than revolutionize the way films were made. He captivated the imagination and heart of children and adults around the world 
for generations. He once famously said, if you can dream it, you can do it. Now, it may surprise you that Walt Disney loved to draw. In fact, he did it religiously growing up. His dream was to make cartoons, but not just any old cartoons, cartoons that actually moved. The problem was everyone in the film industry thought that that was a ridiculous idea. They said cartoons were for kids, and there's no way people would ever pay and sit through a movie to see a moving cartoon. Well, when he was 18 years old, it happened. He landed his dream job of working as a cartoonist for the Kansas City Star. But you know what? He got fired after less than a year. He was told he lacked creativity and imagination. So you could say things were starting out not super well for Walt. He experienced hang-up after hang-up and closed door after closed door, but he pushed through. In 1927, his career as an animator was finally beginning to take off. He and his brother Roy were working in a small animation studio in Los Angeles called the Disney Brothers Studio. They had been working for Universal Studios to create these uh, shorts, these uh, series of short films for Universal Studios based on Alice in Wonderland, the book. After several of these shorts, Universal asked Walt to come up with a new character, someone fresh and different that no one had ever seen before. Walt was excited and poured himself into the task. In the end, he came up with this wonderful character. He was fun Charming, adventurous, mischievous, and very likable. He knew it would be a hit, and the producers at Universal agreed. You all all know who it was? Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. I take it most of you have not heard of him. (laughs) Oswald became the icon for the Disney Brothers studio, and Universal loved him too. They made many shorts and cartoons based on the character, and people were eating it up. After seeing the success, Walt wanted to have some of the share. So he got on a train and went to New York City, cross-country, to see if he could renegotiate his contract with Universal. Unfortunately, though, it did not go so well. Unfortunately, after some back and forth, things went south and they eventually canceled his contract with Universal. They ended up stealing most of Walt Disney's animators by offering them more money to work there. And to top it off, Universal owned the rights to Oswald. So Walt Disney suddenly found himself with no staff. Oswald was no longer his. And everything he had worked for to that point seemed to be suddenly taken away. He was angry, hurt, felt betrayed. His closest friends had left to work for another company. It was not a good place. But something happened. Rather than looking back at his life and thinking another failure, a closed door, another reminder that I'm not going to succeed. What he did was he said, if Universal takes Oswald, then I'll make my own character, and no studio will ever be able to take him. So he left New York and immediately got to work. And after a while, he came up with a wonderful character that everyone fell in love with, 
He called him Mortimer Mouse. Except Walt's wife hated that name and suggested Mickey because it sounded happier. Thank God for wives. How the world would have been different. It's a fascinating story and actually illustrates uh, perseverance and getting up when the horse bucks you off. But the story about Mickey also illustrates something else. Many times we hold tight to this present situation and think, I need to hang on because this, is, this might be all there is for me. I'm comfortable here. I can't possibly get, it can't possibly get any better than this. But if I take a risk, I might really regret it. I might lose everything or at the least look really foolish. This is ultimately about stepping out of the boat when everything inside of you is telling you to stay inside. You see, no one remembers Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. But Mickey became an international icon and has impacted generations. And that's what we see here. Let's turn to John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This takes place after Jesus was traveling from Judea after healing the royal official son in Galilee. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate was where they allowed the sheep or brought the sheep into the temple for the sacrifices. There is a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid said, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So this guy is is sitting here waiting to get into the pool. And it says he'd been an invalid for 38 years. I don't think that means he was necessarily at the pool that long, but he had been dealing with this disability or disease for a very long time. Now Bethesda was a pool that people went to for this uh, mystical power that, they were, that was supposed to have been there for healing. It was like the first century form of an alternative medicine, like, like healing crystals or something like that. And this man was trying the one thing he knew to do to get healed, and that was to go to this pool to be cleansed. But he couldn't even get in because he was so weak, and people always shoved him out of the way in front of him. I think Jesus really had compassion and a tremendous amount of heartache for this person. And he knew the pool wouldn't actually even heal him, but he knew that he could. In verse 8, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Can you imagine? I mean, you're, you're, you've been sick for most of your life, and some guy you don't know, have never seen before, comes up to you and says, get up. It doesn't say there was much interaction here. It doesn't even really say that Jesus even touched him. 
All he did was speak the words, get up. And it says at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Moving on to chapter 6. Right after this story, Jesus had a bit of a, of a confrontation with some Pharisees because he actually healed this man on the Sabbath. God forbid. He also began referring to himself as the Son of God, where God was his Father. And the Pharisees did not like that at all because it made it seem that Jesus was equal to God. If you um, have time, go back and read the rest of chapter 5. It's very, very cool seeing this interaction. But moving on to verse 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? I love those kind of questions. It says he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each of these people to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go? Jesus said, have the people sit down. I don't know much about Andrew in this situation, but it sounds like the most uh, smart aleck thing you could say at this moment. Philip just finished saying how it would literally take a, a half a year's wages to buy enough food for these people to eat. And then Andrew says... Here's, here's five loaves and two fish. Let's see how far those go. I don't know if he thought Jesus might actually be able to do something or if he was just being like, yeah, there's no way this is going to happen. Let's just forget about it. Either way, Jesus does the biblical equivalent of, okay, hold my beer. He says, have the people sit down because something is about to happen. It continues and. Um, there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. 11, uh, verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were, to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they ha all had enough to eat, he said to, the, to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over from those who had eaten. doesn't say anything about the fish. I just realized that. Probably a bad idea to keep that. This is such a cool story. So there's a couple of important things I want to draw from these two stories. There is a moment where we have a choice to do something or not do something, and that moment is usually accompanied by a realization that we are not enough. Are we able to make it through on our own? It's usually a moment where we are in great need, maybe a life transition, or simply just not knowing what, this, what the solution to a problem is. It's a moment where God speaks to us, and we have to decide, what am I going to do with it? How am I going to respond? Will I continue to wallow and live as if there's nothing else? 
and no way out? Or will I lift my eyes up off the situation and look to the one who has the solution? This is what we see in these two stories. The disabled man did not have to obey what Jesus said. Get up, you are healed. He could have simply responded like I think most people might have in this situation. Get up. Who do you think you are? Leave me alone and stop mocking me. I don't think he expected to be healed, but that is what happened. And then we have the feeding of the multitudes. I can't even imagine seeing this actually happen, let alone being there and thinking, is Jesus for real? He really thinks he's going to feed these thousands of people with five loaves and two small fish. I just don't think so. This is the tension we see here. How will we respond when God speaks? Even if something, it's, even if it's something a little out there, hard to even get our heads around, how will we respond? How do we respond when God is calling us to action? When it contradicts or defies what we believe to be even possible. There are just two things I want to draw from this today. The first, God wants to use you regardless of how much or how little you have. In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, however, whoever believes in me also will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Matthew 17, verse 20 says, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. When I was working as a missionary in YOM, we had this saying that we would often hear, that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I love that saying because it, it perfectly illustrates this idea of God giving us all that we need to succeed. But it also brings to light another aspect of, of this that is quite convicting. God is the creator of the universe. The beginning and the end, all-knowing, all-powerful source of life. It's crazy to think that God can only use us when we think we have something valuable to bring to the table. Like, okay, God, here I am. I've got the goods. Now I can be used. I'm ready to go. It's not because you're a Billy Graham or you hold an elected office or have a ton of money or maybe some specialized professional degree. Yes, talent and resources and knowledge and passion are absolutely important when it comes to living into a particular calling or life mission. But God does not require those things in order for us to be useful for his purposes. Noah was a drunk. Not your Noah. <laughs> Praise Jesus. <laughs> With a lot of other issues. But God still used him in really big ways. Moses was a stutterer and had zero self-confidence. Yet, God used him to stand before Pharaoh and be instrumental in bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. Rahab was a prostitute who God used in tremendous ways to impact the Israelites. And she actually became a direct descendant of Jesus Christ. And then Paul, he persecuted and imprisoned Christians. 
He even believed that he was the least of the apostles and didn't even deserve to be called an apostle. But God still used him to be instrumental in seeing the gospel spread around the world. The point is, it does not take much. It just takes a willing spirit. How do we respond when all we have are five loaves and two fish? Do we hang on to those things and think there's no way these could be useful for anything God has planned? Don't disqualify yourself because of what you have. God wants you, not what you can offer. The second thing, God wants to use you regardless of your past or where you are today. In fact, I believe God wants to use you despite these things. I don't think God is phased by a little baggage or a difficult life situation. I think he actually enjoys helping clean it up. Walt Disney once said, All the adversity I've had in my life, all my troubles and obstacles have strengthened me. You may not realize it when it happens, but a kick in the teeth may be the best thing in the world for you. I think the biggest breakthroughs in our life are, and in our relationship with Christ often come in the moment of our greatest need. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Paul is pleading with the Lord about his weakness and a thorn in the flesh that he has. He writes, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect and weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. I feel like a lot of times we count ourselves out before God is even had a chance to use us. Uh, God loves to show us, show up in those moments where it seems like we just aren't enough. We don't have what it takes. When we are at rock bottom and there's nothing we can do to help or fix the mess we are in. He says, for, the, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I started with this story about Walt Disney because it illustrates how loss and failure and brokenness are things we all encounter. It might be an employment or financial situation, a, a life-altering injury or health prognosis, a broken relationship, or maybe you've just made bad choice after bad choice and it, it's finally caught up to you. It looks different for each person, but the essence of this is the same. It's a place where you realize you are not enough. When it comes to our relationship with Christ, being in this place can cause us to respond in one of two ways. It can cause us to wallow and become complacent, bitter, and, and even angry. When we, when we look at our situation and, and carry this guilt and shame and think it's ultimately hopeless, and that there's no way things can possibly change. Or this can be a place where our faith is built. 
we develop a greater trust and strength in Christ, knowing that he is able to do immeasurably more than what we could ever ask or imagine. Amen? It can become a place of breakthrough. How we respond is the key. Walt Disney could have stayed in that broken and rock-bottom situation where he had lost everything. He could have become bitter and thought his best days were with Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. He could have fought for the rights to Oswald and tried to hold on to something that wasn't even close to being his best work. He could have also ended up in obscurity and forgotten had he held on to this false identity identity that he was a failure and his best work was in the past. Had he stayed with Universal, he might have ended up doing something um, big along the way, but being forced out and his masterpiece taken away, it brought him to this place where he had to make a choice. Do I hang on or do I let it go so I can walk into a new and bigger beginning. So this is the question I have for us today. Are you holding on to a situation or a past or negative perception of yourself because you have not been able to truly embrace your identity in Christ? Have you looked at yourself and said, there's nothing God can use here? I'm a mess. My life is a mess. I have nothing that could be useful to God. If that's you today, God is saying, not so fast. I used Moses, David, Rahab, Peter, and Paul, and I even used the manger as a bed for my son. I can use you too. It's the same thing as only having five loaves and two fish. You think you have nothing to work with, but God sees an opportunity to redeem and bless and restore a bad situation. The disabled man at the pool was in a hopeless place, forgotten and struggling to get by. But he took his eyes off of the situation and claimed healing, the healing that Jesus had for him. He claimed victory, and he got up and walked. Amen? I really believe this is true for us today, that God doesn't want us to be thinking that this is all there is. The place, I don't know where you're at personally. If you think you might be at that place right now where you're like, God, I've got nothing here. I'm getting frustrated and discouraged and I'm struggling to keep my eyes up. Or you might have just a sense of, a false sense of identity rooted in the past. Maybe that that was where the best was and now things are going down or that you are just discouraged, you're carrying baggage from past hurts and past pain and just a false sense of the identity that Christ has called us to. It's only because of God that we can stand up and say, I need you, God, I cannot do it on my own. I am not enough because he is right there waiting and saying, you're not enough, you need me. If this is something that is sort of like kind of hitting a nerve or something that you might feel like 
you just need to be in the presence of the Lord, maybe do a little business and pray and just seek God and say, God, help me through this season, this place. Or maybe you know somebody who is in this place and you're trying to encourage and pray for them and see them choose to look to Jesus and not go backwards and not regress into this place of doubt and feeling like it's hopeless. There's nothing left for me. I'm just going to wallow and just not even believe that there could be anything better for me. Let's stand and sing this song together.